Inside the halls of American hospitals, millions of people find comfort, healing, and support. But for many doctors and nurses, this couldn't be further from the truth. This podcast will dive into the shadows of American healthcare to investigate and uncover the abuse, control, and political power plays that leave the very people responsible for our nation's health broken and battered. We're sharing stories of professionals in medicine that have experienced horrendous treatment at the hands of a broken system that does nothing to stop the trauma. As the Association of American Medical Colleges states, long before the Me Too movement, women in medicine have instinctively banded together to counter a culture that too often tolerated harassment. From systemic trauma to abusive power to the unspoken rules of cover-ups and corruption, Mandy Irby and Phoebe will take you to the darkest corners of healthcare in America so you can have an inside look at bringing humanity back to medicine. Sensitive content warning. This podcast will share details of triggering subjects such as sexual assault and workplace violence. So if you aren't in a space to listen, respect your mental health and tune in again at another time. Hey, welcome back to the Pulse Check Podcast. I am Mandy. I'm he. And today we're talking about what is the definition of patient advocacy. And if you think you know, I'm going to challenge you to listen the whole way through because I give you my non-negotiables that I have mashed up a few definitions, if you will, for a trauma-informed 2022 definition that we can go forward with. And I'd love to hear what you think. Let's go. So what is advocacy as related to bedside nursing? What is advocacy? What is the nurse's role in advocacy? Was always I was always drawn to patient advocacy, the concept. And when I was in school, they kept saying patient advocate, patient. Ad-. I was like, all right, all right, all right, right track, right track. And then in practice, they would use it as a weapon. So like they being like administration, management, other nurses, educators, you know, anyone inside of that big, big health, big business would almost use it as like a lure or maybe like convince me that something was a good idea because they use the word patient. Let me think of an example. I just picture nursing school being like, you're an advocate, you're an advocate, you're an advocate. And then nurses are like, hell yeah, we're advocates. And they get in the hospital and then they try and advocate and their hand is slapped and they're punished and they're written up and, you know, just all these things. And they're like, wait, but I'm like trying to be an advocate. Yeah, that's, that's how it feels. So say someone comes in and they don't want a procedure or they don't want to test. And I go to my charge nurse and I'm like, look, I don't know why they're here. I don't know what to do, how to help them. And I say, should I just like be with them or should I tell them what our policy is? And that nurse would be like, well, you know them best. You know, maybe my charge nurse would say, you know them best. They would use patient advocate in that sense for me to explain a policy and why something should be the way it should be, right? So like why it was in someone's best interest. And they're like, well, you're the patient advocate. So you have to advocate for safety. And those things just never sat right. It was like, I am a, I'm a guardian of safety. 
I am the safety magistrate. <laughs> How is that being a patient advocate? It was so, it was like a mind fuck for me. I don't know if other nurses can relate to this, but also it became more clear when I started trying to find a definition in the, like, what are those called? The governing bodies of nursing, trying to find a definition of patient advocate, trying to find resources for what does nursing say patient advocacy is? So that was going to be my question is anywhere in nursing school, did they define what a patient advocate was? Because what the management and admin were really asking me to do was being an advocate of hospital policy, but they were, they were calling it patient advocacy. And if you never had a definition of what is an actual patient advocate, then you don't know. And the thing is they weren't lying to you. You are a patient advocate and you do have a responsibility to explain the hospital policy and why that's in place. So the conversation should have been, well, as a patient advocate, you, you obviously have the responsibility to let them know why we do these things. And the nurses can say, yes, I did. And they still decline. And as the patient advocate, I also have an obligation to respect that period. I am being a patient advocate. Right. But that's uncomfortable. That's the part where they're like, now you're speaking for the patient. You can't speak for the patient. That's your own agenda. Or how do I know what your agenda is? Well, these are mind games they play with you though, right? This is part of the mind games of like, I am playing the role of the patient advocate and they spin it and go, but no, you're not doing it right. Well, you're not doing it right. And how could anyone know what a patient understood from the education given? How could anyone, you know, no one's giving unbiased education. Every single person has biases around the education. We're human. I mean, you try to be like, here's what the evidence says. Here's what I've seen in reality. Here's what my governing body says about it. Here's what ACOG says. Like I have looked things up at the bedside and they've asked questions and I've been like, let me read it to you because their words are better. Looking it up on the computer. Here's what ACOG says. Here's what the governing body says. It's still a discussion. It's ongoing. It's not black and white. I'm so sorry. Here's what our rates are that I know of. Here's what it's not unbiased because it's only, it's limited to what I can give. It's limited to my experience. Just like, you know, any informed consent conversation is not unbiased. You know, the, the provider is coming from one angle, the patient, the family's coming from another angle. They're just trying to meet in the middle and trying to get on the same page and trying to understand each other, but it's, it's all biased. So then that was used as like, well, did you give them all of the information? Did they understand it all correctly? They mu- there must be a misunderstanding. You must have done it wrong. If they're not falling in line with a consenting to the standard of care and going with, you know, what everyone does, what we always do, what we are set up to do. If anything was outside of that, that's when it felt like patient advocate. It was confusing. And I was a brand new nurse when I started. Oh you know, in the hospital. So it was slung around and I was like, I want to chase that patient. What is that? And I've had to learn on my own what it is, because then I was looking up what it was from governing bodies. I cannot for the life of me find the article that got me so messed up. So he, he, 
I will find it. It will be my mission in 2022 to find this article. Maybe it was taken down. So it was perinatal medicine topic for nurses written by a nursing organization to teach nurses about patient advocacy. And it was old. And I looked this up probably five or six years ago. And it was, there was not a lot of perinatal bedside patient advocacy definition for nurses. Mm. And so when I was looking it up, this article kept coming up. It said something about, it was like either forceps or cervical exam, like shocker. That's a super interesting topic to me because that is the, I think like pinnacle of abusive Mm -hmm. examples. So it was like, what is the nurse advocate role? And I just kept digging into what is the nurse advocate role? Like literally how to nurse advocate, how to be a patient advocate as a nurse. And this one article is from like the eighties or nineties. It kept saying nurses should be the patient advocate. So it was defining while using the term, which is like infuriating. And ultimately what it said was your job is the patient advocate until your job is the provider advocate. And then that is your, that is your priority job. And it was so infuriating. It was like, your job as the patient advocate, your job is to prioritize the family and the patient. That is your patient. That is your priority. And then it said, but when it comes to, and it was like these certain procedures, it was like pushing stirrups, something like that. And the provider asks to do something that for that point in time, the provider request is your priority. And it was like 10 words. And I was like, no, no, this isn't, this isn't defining patient advocacy. This isn't it. So since then it was like, we got to burn it down. No, I'm kidding. But we have to uncover, we have to uncover like, what is this? And is it confusing for other folks? First, we got to burn down that definition is what I mean, because that's just, I just couldn't find it. I couldn't find anyone candidly really speaking to nurses besides human conversation. I couldn't find it published. I couldn't find it written. There's a lot more information now. And so I have come up with, took it upon myself (laughs) to define patient advocacy in a trauma-informed realm. How about that? I mean, it didn't exist. So like somebody had to do it. Why not you? I love it. it. I want to hear from viewers, from listeners, like what, how do you know you are a patient advocate? What does it feel like? What does your patient say to you when you are being a patient advocate? And I had to use all this information from other stories, from ANA, American Nurses Association, which should be, you know, kind of our governing body. They provide us with the pillars of nursing they're who we should be listening to and looking to and updating and changing if it's outdated bullshit, because as nurses, like that should be our kind of pathway. And instead we kind of get into the work and then we fall into like a culture, we fall into the standard of helping model. So here's what I found. You want to know? I do. I want to talk about that original definition too. So we have to circle back to that find it so I want to know particularly well 
I want to say, I think I understand where they were getting at, where they were coming from, what they were trying, but they missed it. So I think, I think it's probably based in avoiding litigation. And what they are trying to get at is if there is a moment where it's like a life-saving thing, you are obligated to listen to that provider and like make sure things go well. Because they didn't mention like specific things like pushing in cervical exams, that's you and I inferring, I think we're right, but I will give them the benefit of the doubt. So I think it's probably based around let's keep everyone safe. But the point is, even if things get dangerous and that birthing person says no, that no is the final word. It, I yeah. mean, it's not, yeah. you can't rise above that just because you're a doctor and you're a nurse and you know how to fix this. If someone is saying no, that's it. Right. So try to convince them right there in the moment right. in a very panicked kind of worried, this is serious manner. But if they continue to say no, that's that. And that's what the definition kind of did for me was it's still split the provider and the nurse from the patient. Totally. Right. Totally. And so like, I'm not saying like we shouldn't work together for patient safety, but that's always the thing. That's the kicker. That's the gray. That's the like caveat that's always there is like, yeah, you're a patient advocate unless it involves patient safety. It's like, what? no, what, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So then who's in charge of patient safety and is patient advocacy, not a thing at that point or what is, and of course it is. So what does that look like? What does it mean? That's where it, it really gets really confusing. Also define safety, like something that a provider thinks is safe and something that that birthing person thinks is safe versus probably what that nurse has seen happen and thinks is safe. Exactly. Everyone's got their own opinion. And the thing is, it doesn't matter what you as the nurse, me as the doula, the provider, no matter if you're an L&D or not, it doesn't matter. That patient, what's their opinion? That's the problem. That's the big disconnect is that we've gotten mm -hmm. so far away from patient consent and we've muddled the definition so much that no one actually knows what it looks like, what it is. And then when it's literally screaming in our face, providers aren't recognizing it. Or nurses either. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're choosing not to pay attention to it. I, I choose personally to believe that's not the case because that would mean a lot of providers are like doing bad intentionally. And I don't think that's the case. I think we right. just don't know what consent looks like and we don't know how to get it from patients. We're working with a lot of other, there's a lot of dynamics going mm -hmm. on. There's that. Mm -hmm. There's the unit culture, there's the nurse provider dynamic, there's the nurse patient dynamic, there's the provider patient dynamic, there's the family provider dynamic. There's a lot of dynamics going on that we haven't been taught how to navigate through, but what if someone chooses something I'm uncomfortable with? What if someone chooses something that activates me? What if something, somebody chooses something that activates the provider and they don't feel like they are now working in a safe environment? Who do they look to? Do they look to potential legal issues? Do they call in an ethics team? Do they try again to convince the patient louder? Do they refuse to take care of them? Like we're not, we're, we're not taught 
those things. We're navigating those and trying to figure those out. Most professionals are navigating, trying to figure those out on their own. They're piecing together information that they're getting and trying to decipher for themselves. So we're all kind of on these separate journeys coming into the same room in a high stress. It doesn't matter if it's birth, but that's the example. Cause that's where I've been. It could be end of life. It could be right. It could be cardiology, um, pulmonology, surgery, totally. right? medication trials. It could be all those things. All right. of it. So we're coming in with different information, different priorities, navigating these terms differently. And I think that these discussions are important because these can illuminate, maybe put to words what some folks are thinking and feeling. I encourage everyone to be doing this work for sure. So if this is confusing, if like hearing it and seeing it, you're like, these don't match up. Yes. Welcome to the club. (laughs) (laughs) We're all, we're all like, (laughs) we're here. We've been here. (laughs) We're here. You're safe. Uh, And I know parents are watching this. I had a friend who was like, watched your YouTube the other day and it was us. It was on this podcast. So it's giving information. It's informing the discussions that families are having as well, which is really beautiful. So when I am trying to figure out what is advocacy and I teach about this in the trauma-informed birth nurse program, advocacy at the bedside is my module that I teach in the six modules. And I was like, we don't know. What is this? So I found and created a couple of definitions. I created one. I found a couple, and these are just a couple of a bunch. One study or one paper from 2019 in Saya, Saya at all asks registered nurses to describe patient advocacy, and they described it as promoting patient safety and quality care, which includes the following: protecting patients, being patients' voice provision of quality care and interpersonal relationship, as well as educating patients, right? I like those words and all of them together sound nice too, but what a responsibility to protect everyone, to be everyone's voice, provision of quality care, like everyone's quality care. Am I responsible for quality care across the board? These are terms that have been used around advocacy that don't mean much without additional information. But they sound good. They so sound when you say good. that to a nurse, you're like, hell yes. yeah, they get jazzed up. When you say that to I a patient, they're like, oh, I have a nice bubble and I'm protected. Like when you say that to providers, they're like, yes, I understand that. That's professional. That is clear boundaries. But yeah, I've never thought about that. So maybe you should, you know, define it a little bit more like protector of what? Of, you know, patients' rights. Are you protecting their rights? You and can't protect like their outcomes. That's not up to you solely. Like, what are, are we protecting them against abuse? Abuse from you, Shit. you know, like, what, are we protecting them against harmful non-evidence-based practice? What are we protecting them against? I like it. Okay. Okay. So I had questions after this. So here are my okay. questions. How yeah. do I always advocate for my patient when there's so much noise? Yeah. So if it says promote patient safety and quality care, which includes like, of course, we're always trying to promote patient safety and quality care. I can get behind that because that's pretty vague Mm -hmm. and priority protecting patients, being their voice. How do I do that when there's so much noise? I can only say that I can say, this is what they said. I can say, this is what they've told me, but how do I always continue to do that provision of quality care? How do I always continue to do that? 
there's policies, there's other people I'm taking care of, there's limited resources. What does advocacy look like if the patient can't tell me what they want? So many folks go in, either they literally can't tell you, there's a communication or there's a, and or there's a communication barrier or they just can't know. They're bringing in the- they can't know? Like they don't understand? So say, say we're talking labor and delivery. This is my example that I keep thinking of is someone comes in and transition. They've never been to the hospital. They've never been through classes. They don't have a doula with them. They don't have anyone with them. Or maybe they do. Maybe they have a bunch of people that just aren't educated in birth or haven't ever seen birth, haven't seen birth in a hospital. And they're all just screaming because there's transition. It's scary. It's intense. Fast. You can't focus. It's fast. There's so much going on in the body. There's so much going on in the brain. Everyone else can visualize and witness and hear, but you really have a, like physiologically, the birthing person has a hard time communicating, has a hard time making decisions. Yep. So you say, so how do I advocate for that person? If they're like, make it stop, make it stop. Make that's all they say. How do I advocate for them? How am I their voice? So I just don't advocate for that one. No, that's not why nurses are there. It's not to advocate for the folks that we can communicate with that have the education that came in with the, no, the resources. No, 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 no. So the nurse definition from that paper just didn't suffice because all of these questions, I was like, I can literally think of examples that I've seen and that's not in all of healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was feeling really good. And then we kind of (laughs) like red pinned it to death. That's okay. (laughs) We that's okay because we can take what works, leave what doesn't, and right. come up with like a 2022 solid definition of like here are boundaries, here are a true definition, here are your true like job task and goals, here are the rounds of that. You know, I like it. We're putting <laughs> bells and whistles on it. I love it. Fi- okay. So when I looked up the American Nurses Association Code of Ethics, which is the guiding nursing principles, they have these provisions, provisions one through nine, which are, which they then outline inside. And one of them is the nurse's primary commitment, which is, I think, provision number two is to the patient, whether an individual family group, community, or population, the code of ethics serves the purpose of the profession's non-negotiable ethical standard. Okay. So I liked this. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the very like, we should know this, but it helps me center my compass on who I need to prioritize because some of that noise comes from, well, what about policy? What about, what about the risks that I know of that, you know, maybe I wasn't really clear about the risks. What about liability? Exactly. What about my health and safety? What about provider's health and safety? What about laws? What about laws doesn't really work, but I mean, I still have to stay safe. And I still have to really prioritize my actions as like, I mean, there are laws around your license. So there are laws mm-hmm. that you are working within that you must stay within. Right. Exactly. You are a patient advocate or you're not. Right. I was thinking of like other people and the law, like that's not my responsibility. However, yeah. there are, like you said, there are responsibilities within my practice. Yeah. So when I'm thinking of who am I 
advocating for. I'm advocating for patient, individual, family, group, community, or population, whatever that patient is for me. This is the non-negotiable. And as the nurse, it is the nurse's non-negotiable. As possibly the only nurse in the room, that is who the nurse should be centering. So let me tell you, let me give you an example, uh, a situation that just like popped into my brain. And I want to let this play out because I know what the Hollywood version would do. I want to know how it would play out in the real room because I feel like it's not going to be the idyllic Hollywood version because of different power dynamics. So let's say, all right, we're in L&D and let's say we have a person who is having their baby and their baby's actually not having any trouble coming out but the provider wants to do an episiotomy and they don't ask the patient and they just say it. And the patient leans up and says, no episiotomy. And the doctor says, well, you need one. And they go, no episiotomy. And the doctor turns to you and goes, can hand me, you know, the scissors. And the patient is saying, no, what do you do? That doctor is saying, hand me my tool, hand it to me. And you're kind of going back and forth between them, like, ah, oh, hand it to me, no episiotomy. And you're like, okay, I'm the nurse. What do I do? Mm, yeah. 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 So that nurse has to practice within their own comfort of defiance of the power dynamics and centering the patient. In what way are they taking responsibility for the provider's actions? Because they're not responsible for the provider's actions. Yeah, but if they hand them the scissors, they are enabling to do that. If right. you're to hand the so scissors, I, the provider should would have to get up and get it themselves. Sure. Solely responsible. But if you do that, are you risking your job? Probably so. At least being written up, at definitely having your ass chewed out the minute you're out of that room. Possibly. Yeah, you're risking consequences on both sides. Oh my gosh. I think within a patient advocacy conversation, and we're listening to the patient and the patient is saying, no, then we are, then the nurse is responsible for supporting the patient's answer and supporting the next steps, doing the next steps to support the patient, whether they they've asked, or that's an ongoing discussion between you and the patient. How do you want to continue to be supported? If you're saying no episiotomy, my next steps would be, okay, would you like to move out of this position? <laughs> because we know that other positions lower your chance of forced episiotomy. And that is based on evidence. Like that is published. So my next response might be, and this is imagination, right? Because in the room, those power dynamics in that abusive relationship, because a non-abusive relationship would not be asking me to do something that totally goes against my non-negotiables. Yes. Of my own professional practice mm -hmm. that has been documented for decades. Or as a patient is screaming, no. Exactly. They would not be asking me to contribute in the harm of another human yes. in my care role. Yes. Okay. So that's fucked up. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that abusive relationship does affect my biases. I mean, it affects how I respond to things. 
in this pretend situation, if I'm the nurse advocating for that patient, then my next step would be, what are the next steps for that patient to support them in their choice? No, maybe let's change position. How do you want, you want to stop pushing? You want to keep pushing? Obviously that's like, I, if I know physiology that has just sent a boost of adrenaline through their system, they might not even have a contraction for a few minutes and other nurses and other professions are going to see these things in their patients and be able to recognize how to support them with the knowledge of physiology and be like, Hey, that's a lot. You just sat up and like spoke your mind. I can, I see you and I hear you and I'm with you. And this is what we're going to do. First of all, I'm not going to fucking cut you in episiotomy. I'm the nurse. Second, let's focus on what's next for you. How can you feel safe? And if that provider takes a pause, then I need to still maintain patient safety. Maybe that provider needs to leave the room. Maybe we put the bed back on because now it's not safe. If we're changing positions, maybe we put the bed back on and go get help. If I'm activated and I'm distracted, I need help. I need more nurses at the bedside. I need help physically helping this patient. Someone needs to support me because I'm activated because I am in the middle of defying someone who is actively abusing their power or attempting to abuse power. So now I need support. (laughs) This is make believe. This is if I was like in someone's ear and I would be like, no bitch, go with your gut. This is abusive relationship talking to you. That's real. And so then it's like nurses like you do exist. You guys are just far and few between. That doesn't mean we make these choices every single time though. Oh yeah. No, 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 not at all. But the people that you do make them for, like you save them. Imagine this, right? Like my Hollywood ending to this was that, oh my God, I can't wait for this. Okay. So my Hollywood ending was the nurse is like standing between them. They're going back and forth, going back and forth. And she just says, no. And the doctor gets up. And by the time he has the scissors and turns around, the patient's already like off the bed and birthing her baby. <laughs> it zooms in on the nurse's face. And she's just like, got this shitty and grin of like, huh, told you. It's not yeah. about them Fired. and what they want. It's not about that. We, we could have a conversation that could go a million ways. We could have that are good. We could have a conversation, a sidebar conversation, ensure patient safety, their adrenaline's pumping. They won't have a contraction maybe for three minutes. We have a three minute yeah. sidebar conversation of Let's that go. provider sees something that I don't see that provide. I say, okay, we need to have a conversation with the patient then, because that's my job is to make sure that they understand and make the choice. And then my job will also be to partner with the patient team up, whatever they're going to do. I have to like, I have to support their choice. And I am able to, it is not breaking my nurse, you know, I'm not doing anything illegal. Like it is in, I can support them in ways that I can support them. And also my job, this is another whole podcast, which we won't get into, but my job is not to protect patients from abusive actions. I don't know. I'm still working on that but I can't control that. Me handing the scissors to a provider who's asked for the scissors. I don't know if they're going to cut an episiotomy if someone's asking them not to. Sure. It looks like I'm contributing to harm, but I, they're literally not saying I'm going to do it no matter what, give me the scissors. They use scissors postpartum to cut the cord. So I, don't feel like every nurse who's handed someone scissors had a hand in 
non-consensual acts just by handing someone the scissors. However, it does make it difficult. It just takes more time. Someone else can just, it's not like I have scissors under lock and key. It just takes more time for them to turn around and do it. It is a, I think it's more of a power shift if the nurse is then contributing in that way by like, it, it's like nonverbal, but me handing someone scissors does not mean I think you should do something without their consent. I think you should harm someone. No, but the problem with me advocating for the patient at that time and listening to the patient and helping them follow through with what they want done or not done is not deserving of the backlash that it gets. Mm -hmm. The problem is not the advocacy. The problem is that abusive culture, whoever gives me backlash for being defiant at the bedside, Probably. that's an issue with what everyone thinks is my role and their role. That's not an issue with patient advocacy. And in this story, you know, I'm not, I'm not contributing to harm, but there, there's no conversation of like, there's so much missing. There's so much conversation that should have happened that is on somebody else. That's on the other professional. That's not, you know, I can try to ask questions to clarify, Hey, do you see something that we don't see? What are you asking for that? Blah, 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 blah. Like get some information for the patient, but it's still the nurse's non-negotiable to advocate and promote for the patient's health. And if the patient says it's safest for me not to have that, I don't understand why it's an emergency. I don't, I don't, you know, with the information that I have, I choose. No, the problem is that culture and the backlash. It's not the patient advocacy part of it. Yeah. And I can't, I can't in none of these definitions, does it include your job is to protect your patient from all ill will and abusive behavior, because that's just not realistic. It does go on. Like there are, there are ethics around reporting, defending the patient, speaking to that provider, going up the chain of command. There are next steps that are within the nurse's scope and responsibility. If that were to happen, or even the part that you just discussed is problematic of, of, you know, the potential for, because the next step would be the next step would be harm potentially and actions leading up to harm and like the threat of harm. If you feel like that was threatening, like that's an issue that needs to be addressed. That is part of the nurse's responsibility, but handing someone something and then they do harm with that without handing someone a tool that they use routinely in all birth situations, I think contributes in like a nonverbal way to the power, the totally it just negative power dynamics, the non-patient centered power dynamics in the room, but it does not mean you thought you should totally do something that is illegal, harmful, totally against your license. No. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think any, well, I don't know. I don't think most nurses think those type of things. I also think most nurses, if not all nurses, hold their tongue so much of the time. So I guess my question is, or the breaking point for me is when the nurse has the choice, she's going back and forth, back and forth, instead of handing them the scissors, which 
you know, if the doctor had just said, we need to do an episiotomy, hand me the scissors, I feel like it is very clear that um, yeah. it's using it for. And so the, the role that I, I see playing out in Hollywood, and I hope that if I were the nurse, I would be able to do this, although I don't think I would in, in today's culture. But I hope that we can get to a culture where the nurse has the freedom and feels confident and safe to say, the patient is saying no, and that's it. And you, you leave it there. You don't mm -hmm. have to say like, get it yourself. I'm not right. going to help you. You just say like the patient is saying no. And if that doctor, you know, needs that or really wants to do it with the patient screaming, no, they'll have to get the scissors themselves. And I do think that that's a very kind of solid way that we can start to be better patient advocates. And we, so doulas and nurses play very different roles. I can never be fired from a hospital. You can. My livelihood doesn't depend on that hospital. Yours does. I can be asked to leave, but I mean, not if I'm doing things in a respectful way. And so me and my team, I teach my, my team to say things like that, to interject things like that. So when we see that nurse going back and forth, we just remind the room, the patient yeah. is saying no. Cool. That usually helps people make the decision right. right there, or at least it takes some heat off that nurse. Right. And they kind of are like, oh, she's not wrong. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. correct. Right. So mm -hmm. having an additional advocate there that's not attached to the, the hospital actually plays in the favor of everyone except bad providers. And it almost exposes them, right? A good yeah. provider would have heard that patient go, no, I don't want it. And they would have said, look, I, I really feel like you need it. And they go, no, I do not want it. Okay. I'm telling you, you're going to fare a little better if I'm able to do this. I do not want it. Okay. Right. And that's how it works. Yeah. This has been a great conversation. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so that Usually our role in advocacy, patient advocacy is advocating against harmful providers. I think it's the everyday and, and that, that stuff may happen every day, depending on where you work and who you work with. But the majority, the majority are the discussions around, well, what about the policy? Well, what about the safety measures we have in place? What about staffing issues? Like we have limitations on resources, the non-negotiables that I put together from the readings and the mashup that I found in a trauma-informed way is advocacy is protecting the patient's expertise on their own body and their ability to make the best decisions for themselves and their baby. Of course, that's in the perinatal space, but that is the patient-centered kind of pillar that is trauma-informed care is that they are, they do have the expertise on their own body and we center them because we are caring for them, not doing things to them. We always say like, we want to do things for you, not to you, but we do have to prove that. And so the, that includes candid conversations with the patient. That's like relearning, unlearning, like, wait a minute, what kind of power dynamic do we have going on here? Okay. This is what we're used to, but this is not what we mean. Yeah. This is not what we want. This is not how we should be playing this out so we can change in every single care interaction. Every single patient interaction has the, um, capacity for this. 
or the capacity for what we've been doing in the past, which is kind of weaponizing that patient advocacy and really prioritizing the hospital helper, policy helper, provider centered. Even though we say that it's not, it often comes down to if someone stands up in the room, we're centering that person. If someone comes in with a written out policy when the patient did not ask for that, we are centering something besides what the patient wishes. If that's not, you know, true, unbiased education, candid discussion, that's truly centering the patient. It takes a lot of work. I think we can advocate well in the perinatal space. We can advocate in the prevention of birth trauma. You know, if we, if the patient isn't able to tell us what they want, which often happens either physiologically, they're not in a space where they can communicate that, or they, they don't have the education and information. And that's very common with like very little education around childbirth, very little reproductive education that we have in the U S right now. Most people come in and they're like, I don't even know where this baby's coming from or how that's ever going to happen. Or like the steps that are going to happen, let alone all of the intricacies that can happen and interventions offered and things like that. So we can advocate for their safety and quality care, even when they're doing their own thing, right? We can, they're giving birth by themselves on the floor next to the bed. That doesn't mean that I have to go in shouting and screaming the safest way is on the bed. I have to see that this is what they're doing and this is what they've chosen. And I can confirm that they feel safe and comfortable. And I can advocate to make it the safest that I can and the most comfortable that I can. Yeah. Because options. Would you like to move to the bed? I don't think I would even say that the bed is in the fucking middle of the room. They know it's there. It's the biggest thing in the space. I wouldn't be me saying, would you like to go to the bed? And they're like holding onto the bed. I'm imagining them like squatting, holding onto the rail. They're like, bitch, I saw the bed. I climbed over the bed to get here. Me saying that I'm in a position of power. So that is a suggestion at that point. So I have to be really careful that I'm like, Hey, how are you? They might feel like they might say, I, I look at them and they're like this queen, like this person knows what is up. They're just following their own body. And I, I, and I get down with them and I'm like, Hey, how are you? How are you here? And they're like, I can't move my legs. Someone carry me. I'm like, Oh, a totally different space that I thought they're like desperate to get in the bed or they're desperate to get on the toilet or they're desperate to get in the tub. You know, I have to continuously monitor and not assume, but I can't also assume that they're trying to get in the bed every time they're not in the bed. It is my responsibility to look around and advocate for their safety, but it's hard because I just want to like confirm it's tough to navigate this phrase of nurse at patient advocacy. What is a nurse advocate, what is patient advocacy? Because we are told that it is so many things that it's not. So someone may then come and look at me and be like, why didn't you advocate for them to get in the bed? (laughs) You're not using that word the way you think you are. It's not my job to advocate for them to get in the bed. They're safe. We have pillows. I'm not leaving their side, blah, 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 blah. We have the mat. We got a mat because as soon as we started like advocating for what patients wanted, a bunch of them jumped out of bed. Now we had to get mats, whatever that looks like. Often it's not the problem with the nurse advocating, but that is who is blamed. And that is who gets, you know, shut down. That is who gets harmed in, in the process. But at that point we have to 
work human to human and think if I go down for this, it's because I'm in an abusive system, you know, and I'm not putting someone in harm's way, or I'm not giving up on this patient's safety and their expertise on their own body. Right. Because yeah, like you said, like there are risks to employment, there are risks to being bullied, there are risks to, they can make it really, really hard for nurses and for any staff who don't fall in line. And I've, and I've witnessed that and I've seen that and it's, it's real, but as each individual nurse, we all have to, and each individual care provider, we all have to be like, I have to keep doing what I think is right. Right. And I am responsible for continuing to learn what that is on my own, even if that's not what it's called in each setting, right? Those words are used against me to get me to do other things. But if I am listening to the patient, following their lead and providing the safety and education that is within my scope, then you are a patient advocate. It's hard. It's said everywhere. And it seems like we should all have a shared definition of what that is. I think we're getting there with your definition. Seems like we're making baby steps in that direction. So that's my take on patient advocacy, how nurses are patient advocates. And it's, it's evolving. It's evolving and changing. And I think we're we're getting our feet wet in these definitions. We're working toward doing no harm, preventing birth trauma, preventing trauma, using what we know about trauma within ourselves and within our unique patient populations to help create individualized care that promotes safety and autonomy. And that's what we should be working toward. And I think that we can do it more outwardly, right? We can do it more obviously. We can have these discussions if you feel safe to do so, but there's so much that goes into it. Culture. There's so much that goes into it. So I'm so grateful for you for listening this long to this conversation. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can let us know on Instagram what you think. And you can also fill out the form to be a guest on the podcast with us and actually discuss what you think. We want to hear it. You can find us at pulsecheck.podcast on Instagram. Bye y'all. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. We wanted to leave you with a quick stat and something to think about until we see you next time. According to a 2018 report from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, the prevalence of sexual harassment in academic medicine is almost double that of other science and engineering specialties. This presents a serious danger that ripples into patient safety, clinical outcomes, and burnout, which leads to costly loss of talent. How much safer could medicine be if nurses and physicians weren't also battling sexual harassment day in and day out? If you or anyone you know has a story to share, please contact us on Instagram at pulsecheck.podcast. We'd love to share your story.